Welcome to Build with Rob. I am Rob Deerdick, CEO and founder of The Deerdick Machine, a one-of-a-kind venture creation studio. We are a company that creates companies by systematically fusing art, science, and magic through a process we call the machine method. The art is the creative vision and the constant shaping and refinement of an idea. The science is the proven methods and time-tested fundamentals of business. The magic is the intangible, universal luck that provides an unexplainable push towards success. Each guest on this show is one of my do-or-dire partners and co-founders. This show is an inside look at all the companies that we've created and the lessons we have learned along the journey. Today, we've got the one and only Shane Nickerson on the show. He is my co-founder and partner in Super Jacket Productions. Super Jacket was acquired by Thrill One Sports and Entertainment. As a result, created the largest action sports media and entertainment company in the world. Shane is a super talented creator, and together we have produced all the shows that I have starred in, including Robin Big, Fantasy Factory, and Ridiculousness. This episode is an incredible example of the before-you-start-win philosophy. I believe you must know exactly what you hope to achieve out of a business before you ever decide to launch it. In the case of Super Jacket, we decided we were going to build a production company and sell it in three years, and that is is exactly what we did. Shane Nickerson, welcome to the Build with Rob show. Uh, how does it feel to be on a podcast with me rather than behind the scenes producing a television show? It's weird. It's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be easy for you. I'm just going to guide us along on our journey. That is essentially the conception of Super Jacket as a production company all the way to the exit. Right. And, and before us, Shane... Uh, may I describe this glorious championship row? It is two, I would say, 10 to 15 pound Super Bowl level trophies shimmering with gold. And it is 12 beautiful Cabernet vintages in a special edition liquidity vintage of the Deer Deck Machine and Super Jacket, all numbered and signed by me. That's incredible. Okay, so you, this is part of what it, uh, what happens when we ex- exit a company down here at the Deer Deck Machine. We're going to really spend this episode really talking through that entire process, but let me first start with describing who you are to me. And your doer dire lineage to me. I refer to you as a creative super rainbow doer dire that bleeds comedy gold, right? So, creative super rainbow, I don't even know where we came up with it. It's like so insider. I still own creative super rainbow.com. You, be- you call drama a creative super rainbow in an episode. That's where it came That's from. That's where it came from. And, and look, I don't know why I pinned it back on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> where I just look at like, or us as a crew, like we're creative super rainbows. Uh, but really, you know, you, we have been creative partners for going on 15 years, right? When it's all said and done, we will have made somewhere between a thousand and 2000 episodes of television together, which is pretty remarkable. But, but just for the listeners, mm-hmm. give, give a quick backstory on you and, and then what led to being brought in to deal with Robin Big and ultimately us connecting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, it just a very fortuitous collision. 
Yeah. You know, I think of it that way. You can think of points in your life where your life just shot a different direction. Yeah. Big time. And I was working for MTV and just in story, which is basically kind of like a writer for reality shows. You're, you're watching footage, you're helping shape shows. And I had, I had, um, been hired by them to, to work on different shit. And, uh, I fixed some of the stuff that was messy because I just had a good sense of story and a decent sense of comedy from my performance background. And But for the backstory, like, yeah. how did you get into story? It Was it because your comedy and you were acting and trying yeah. other things? Like, what led to, like, you being a guy that would be worth pulling in for story at MTV? So fluky. I, I, I was at the Groundlings, and I was, I was going through their program. I was in the Sunday Company, and there were these two producers that did the Groundlings comedy show for, I forget what network it was, called Instant Comedy with the Groundlings. And one of the guys called me and said, Hey, do you want to come to be a stand-in for the show where we're rehearsing it? We're getting it up on its feet. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And I think it was a hundred bucks or something. I was like, I'll take the hundred bucks. And through that connection, he then went on to produce other stuff. He produced the first season of big brother. And he called me and said, Hey, why don't you come be an assistant story editor on this thing? This was 2000. I had never done it, but the money compared to what I was making, like auditioning and being a bellboy was yeah. so insane. <laughs> I was like, I can figure oh, this man. out for sure. I, my soul, I just, I, my soul just took you from what I know you today to just a guy like in, in a line of a hundred actors oh. trying to like read off lines to get a commercial in between being like, may I take that for you, sir? No, no. Grinding. Oh, like at wow. the, at the door of the Regent Beverly Wilshire with my, with my suit my you know my hat and all that uh. stuff and my wife would pull around the back i would i couldn't leave legally like i couldn't tell them i had to go audition so i would run around the building hop in the car drive an hour hope that nobody was looking for me that whole time and then come back sweating changing out putting you know i'd do the audition i'd come back and change and put my stuff back on but yeah so that's the place i was in so when i got this job opportunity to work in story on reality i was was down and I, and I figured it out pretty quickly because, because I did grow up watching a lot of TV and I understood basic story structure. I was an English major, so I knew writing and it's, you know, that world reality is a combination of all those things. You kind of have to think creatively, but you have to understand basic story and you are writing, although you're not writing scripts, you're writing in your head how it goes. And so what, what led ultimately then to being pulled in for Rob Deerdeck's rules to success yeah. now. Right? So, so I worked on a string of MTV shows and I kept getting rehired and I became their guy to like, Hey, we got a mess here. Can you go fix it? You know, we did like a, I forget there was like a Wilma Valderrama car show. There was just a bunch of stuff. I get put Cameron Diaz's show was, was just, they shot it and they couldn't quite figure it out. Um, so I was coming off of a season of that show and they, they told me about this Rob Deerdeck's uh, keys rules. to success. Rules to this success. Rob Deerdeck, they would not buy the buddy comedy. For context, when I I sold the show to MTV, I went in. It was called Best Friends, and I played the uh, sort of teaser with the song. People, let me tell you about my best friend, and they're like, "We don't get it." But you, this is your entire creation. Like yeah. this is one of like he, you know, you like. It's your rules of success, and he's one of the parts of your rules of success. Always surround yourself with good people, right? right. And I just, I got noted and forced in to be like, I guess this is my right. TV journey. Well, why you wouldn't know? you? Because that's your ticket to be on TV. You'll do anything they say, and you assume they must know. To a what, degree, Shane. Well, th degree. back then. Yeah. <laughs> back then, you know, you're like, all right, well, if this is the road. So 
I got brought in at the, it, everything was perfect because you were at the end of your creative rope on it. You had been rung, rung through the ringer, right? They had noted it all the way around to a thing you weren't even happy with. And Jeff and Ruben both had to leave right then. Jeff was, I think, doing Jackass and Ruben was doing a movie. Yeah. And to give you context, Jeff Tremaine, creator of Jackass, really helped build the bridge and the relationship with MTV, came on as a producer. And Ruben Fleischer, uh, it was really his like brainchild to me and Big Black of like, uh, you should do a TV show together because me and he had uh, directed a film about the Gumball 3000 uh, that me and Big Black were in. And he really pushed me to try to explore doing a television show. We took that to Jeff Tremaine and then Jeff Tremaine said, yeah, let's all do it together. Right. And then we we took it to, to MTV. But and if you watch if you watch any of that Gumball stuff. Ruben had, Ruben knew it and had it then yeah. he had it then he knew it, that that was going to be and, it. And funny enough back then I was like, I don't have time for a TV show. Right. You know, like I was like, come on. Like I had, I was already like writing street dreams and I had already been formulating my street league vision and like building skate plazas and everything, all the shoe design work I was doing with DC. Yeah. But, but I don't want to, I don't want to hang in there yeah. too long. So I really want to get into sort of the story of how we built super jacket. So that's but, how, let me just skip ahead quickly. Yeah. That's how we connected. We got to do a cut that was, I think, way closer to what you guys originally wanted. And we just, we connected creatively because, because I think at that point it was like, that was back to what you guys had all envisioned. And I could easily see what it should have been and what you guys wanted, I think. Hey, look, I'll say it again. Without you, <laughs> you, you literally stepped in and changed the entire trajectory of my existence. Well, but vice versa. I, Same I mean, thing. but look, and, and, and this is a beautiful story, you know, as, as we, uh, about the, the story of Super Jacket, but truly, if you're not brought in and make Robin big work, then I don't really go on to really understand the power of, of getting that level of mainstream media or how to, to create content altogether at that scale. Right. Well, I appreciate that. I, we were learning together you know you have such an insane ability to put yourself in positions where luck hits you and Full bore. you know and that was one of them so i happened to be the right person that mtv trusted right then yeah but 10 other people could have found it it just all fit it all fit and you know like i said it's one of those it's one of those launch off moments where yeah. oh okay my life's not going here it's going over there okay and so really just to to kind of lay out the, the the next decade behind that is really it went from Robin Big and what I hated about Robin Big was uh, sort of the the tension between me and him creatively and then the fact of just shooting a reality show in my house was right. driving me insane and, and but love the power of TV I think that's after reading a Vinnie DeBona article uh, about America's Funniest Home Videos global syndication I basically said hey I, like to both you and Jeff like I think there's an opportunity here to make like a cool version of America's Funniest Home Videos um, which you know it was more decisive than that you brought out the article and you said <laughs> straight to, the, I think you said straight to syndication, yeah. straight to Cindy. <laughs> like this, he's Probably, like, this look. is a billion dollar franchise. He's like, I got it. Yeah. I have figured, and you had pulled videos. You, you basically had built the show in your head already and knew what the power of it was going to be on that day in the house. Cause I, I clearly remember it. You look, I got the next big thing, big thing. And I'm like, I've heard that a lot of times. Yeah. And usually they are, but this one was like, no, this is it. Yeah. And look, and it, I need you out of my house. I think yeah, you said <laughs> there was so much pain in there. Like we need this light set up out of my living room. 
But look, we 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 paused on that because they really wanted me to make another reality show, uh, willing to pay me way more money to do the reality show than what they were willing to. Well, let me say, we went out and pitched the show Money Shot that eventually became Ridiculousness. MTV uh, eventually wanted to to buy it, but they also wanted me to do a regular reality show in we decided it was too much to do them both at the same time. Then we launched Fantasy Factory, you know, which uh, essentially was now how do we take what I learned from the business side of what Robin Big did for me and create uh, an entire platform that I could both sell and uh, monetize and promote all the brands that I owned and were developing and building. So it became this giant megaphone for the business I was creating. And then they came back, said, hey, let's can we try this video show again? And then we we set out on the journey to shoot that. And of course, um, the rest of that is history, right? It just went on to to find a bunch of different waves of success um, that we'll kind of discuss in the end here. But I, I just wanted to at least give context of how, you know, we really were brought together by fate and then really spent almost most of our entire time just being creative and you're an executive producer, I'm talent producer. We're just making, how can we make another TV show together? Yeah. And then between 2012 and 2015, like that's when I really refocused on what type of business person did I want to be. And really, you know, the Deer Deck machine was essentially formed in that era. And, and that was the era that I was beginning to look at businesses from how do you build an asset and uh, that can be acquired. And now it's understanding sort of all the things that go into that. And as I was looking at you know, when, when I finished up my system for the first time and around, you know, the 2015, 16 time, it was like, okay, what's the first business that we could apply this to, right? So we had Super Jacket as a label, but we weren't really a, a, a company, right? And so to me, and, and you may remember this differently, but I ultimately remember just saying to you like, okay, are you interested in building a super jacket into an, a company that gets acquired. I remember it so clearly because we, we were an operating business, but it was a hustle. Yep. It was, we had some avid. It was a broco. It was a broco. And actually I remember the shift and thinking like, Ooh, we're, I'm on the bubble here. Cause I'm definitely in the broco category, <laughs> but luckily we're making good enough money that we can't just get rid of this thing. Yeah. But not then, then it was like a few hundred thousand. Right? Like we were just having It had was the free money though. Yeah. But, it was free revenue. But you were still on the block. Hey. You know? <laughs> I was definitely on the block. But but, but look, but even, our company had at that point we were we had an office. Like we were yeah. in Burbank and Jen had a job and we were we were piecing it together and paying for it out of budgets. But I remember the day when you were like it totally shifted my mentality and it actually took me a second to switch because it, and by the way, it, I never would have got there. I'm not that guy. I would have just kept making stuff that felt good to make. I said, hey, this is how I want to do business now. I want to build this as an asset, create a plan, put a timeline to it and build it to sell. Like it is the start at the end, uh, before you start win mentality. It was like this entirely new focus of how I wanted to be as a business person. But you're a creative guy. I'm not. So look, 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 so I was like, I want to make sure, do you want to even do something like this? I don't want to build a production company (laughs) for you. If you just want a creative outlet to make content, because you got to keep in mind, you know, in that period, I woke up at two in the morning 
morning one morning and I, I left my TV on and in the distance I heard <laughs> like crack into a cold A&W root beer. And I'm like, Shane, like, is that, sh-? I, I thought I heard Shane's voice and it. The next day I said, Hey, did I hear your voice on an A&W root beer commercial? And this, yeah, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, I'd still do some voice acting. This guy, like, while we're running all these shows, is out still doing auditions True. And, and knocked down an A&W root beer voiceover. No, like, no, no, no. <laughs> like mind-numbing, man, mind-numbing. So, but it switched my gear. And, and again, I say it because it's so important that if we're doing this together, that we're completely aligned and anybody that's building a business, like you have to be completely aligned with what you want that outcome to be together as partners, because you don't want to not have that defined. And then, Oh, I want to build it to sell. And then you're like, Oh no, I want to spend this uh, extra cash we have on doing our own, like my passion play. Yeah. Whatever you're (laughs) trying to, I was trying to nail you into a passion play this entire documentary on the Seiko watch. Uh, Shane is like, no, it's crazy. It was an import that was only in here for a year. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's the the possibility. So, you know, I think that was step one, right? So yeah, we got aligned. I knew it really shifted you and you were like, no, yeah. Like, and and even when I kind of laid out, you know, sort of the general parameters, I still had to learn what that exactly meant. Right. So I knew that we needed to build to sell and create a plan backwards. Right. And randomly got a call from Lauren Dolgen, who was our network executive at MTV, saying that Stephen Michaels called her and asked if he could bring his children to the Fantasy Factory. And in passing, she said, oh, he's a friend of ours. He just sold his company for $150 million, his asylum production company. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. Yes, he can if he will give me 15 minutes to just explain to me how he built and sold the company for $150 million. Right. And it's back to that idea of like you want to do something, go talk to somebody that has done it, right? Like if you want to build a production company to sell, like go talk to somebody that just went through it. And, and so – Or hire them. Yeah. And, and he – you know, at that time – you know, he really just laid it all out for us, right? Like, you know, we went and met with him and he really explained of like sort of the margin goals in the production business, right? You're really trying to to get to a 30% margin and you right. get that through music, you get that through post, you get that through finishing, you get that through all these different sort of revenue verticals that you can drive that that margin. And then, you know, we learned in that time that, okay, a production company trades off of about six to eight times EBITDA, mm-hmm. EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. I didn't, that's, I didn't know what that was for. Profits, profits, <laughs> yeah, you got to be profitable, profit, right? You know? and, and so, and, and then it became even more clear. Now our mission's clear. Hey, we got to run it in order to do it. We got to build a lean company. Like we got to try to add all these different uh, yeah. verticals, right? He also recommended that we go meet with Briar, uh, who was an investment bank group that had used to work on the acquisition side for production companies, now acted as an intermediary acting on the sell side. And so we went and met with them, right? So now we're building, we're, we're building our knowledge. We set the plan. We agreed as partners. Now we're building our knowledge and getting an understanding. They said, wow, this is crazy. Like, um, 
this is great. Yeah, nobody ever comes to us before they start. You know what I mean? Because keep right. in mind, like we really were like, you know, and they're like, if you wanted, you know, and they were laying out, here's all the things you need to think about. This is what it's going to trade for. Here's the potentially the type of deals you'd be looking at getting. Because you didn't go to them and say, this is what we hope happens. You said, this is going to happen. Yeah. So we want to build it from now on. Perfect. Right. So that when they start doing due diligence, when they go back through all our stuff, it has been built for exit. 100%, from the beginning. Right. And and that's what I, another great lesson, right? Like if you're creating your business to be sold, make sure that it is built in a way that it can be easily diligenced and which will be super impressive to whoever's acquiring it. But ultimately that you're keeping yourself diligent and how you build that company based off of your end goal. Right. So in that time, they told us that you needed Three years of consistent EBITDA in order to, uh, so every time I say it, it makes me laugh. You know what I mean? It's so technical, but like, to me, it's just like seared into my soul and everything I look at at this day in my life. But we needed that three years, uh, before we could go to market. Right. Right. And so that was it. But they're like, Hey, we can't help you. Yeah. Yeah, like We (laughs) can't like run your business. Like we don't run a business. And so then at that point, we knew that obviously I couldn't operate it. Like uh, you didn't have the experience to operate at that And level. didn't want to. And didn't want because, to, right? Because I remember after meeting with Steve, th- you have that feeling sometimes when you realize the, the magnitude of what you actually now have to do. And we had to deconstruct and peel back pieces that were wasteful, inefficient, yep. bad habits, and start really putting an actual plan to not even just for exit, but like even for hiring showrunners, we started putting real systems in place. This is also something that you were driving home is like, let's, when these showrunners come in, like we have a manual, like give them, like have expectations. It's much easier to understand where shortcomings are. If you have laid out expectations, they know what you're expecting from them and you can go and go, Hey, we talked about these three things. None of that's happening. It's really easy. And it doesn't then become this bleed of like, oh, it's kind of everyone's fault because everyone's doing everything. And so we started really clearing out like all of the clutter in the middle and just creating clear lanes for everybody there. And then I think you're getting to when we brought Matt on. Yeah. And really, you know, really it was about having somebody that could be aligned with us, aligned with the fact that we wanted to build this to sell and had the experience that had gone through something similar, right? And so right, right. so I, I want to say Josh, uh, he was friends with Josh. And how was he introduced to you? Because so, really this is your source, your relationships. And, and this goes back to kind of that idea of, you know, how I look at business today through the founder market fit lens, meaning we had so many relationships and advantages inside this industry and connections that made it one phone call way to find the, the perfect person versus someone that was trying to build a production company for an exit that did not have the same relationships as we did in the entire industry. Right. right. One of the reasons I think that I thought a lot about this is how, how we work. We're not, we're an unusual pair as far as business goes, but I trust your business sense. And then what I'm good at is I can problem solve around that. So if this is the goal, I can figure out probably a really efficient way to get to that goal just from producing. And just because that's my, the way my brain works in life, try to find the quickest way through. So Josh had been, as we were bro and each stage of it, getting more avids and starting to increase 
the revenue we were capturing. Josh had been consulting with Matt on all of it. Okay. So Matt was giving him all of this advice until finally Josh said, hey, bro, like, this is great, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It's getting to the point now where it's a little bit above my ability. I think you guys should talk to Matt. Yep. I'm just asking him these questions anyway. And at a certain point, you should just bring him on because he, you know, we're friends and he'll keep giving me the info, but he's valuable. And, and so this, this is what happened to us in, a, in an instant right? Is he had, he had just gone through building a company as an operator and, and went all the way through to the exit. So he now had the experience of somebody that we were looking to, to understand and have the, the expertise in all these areas that we didn't. In the moment he came along and again, it was back to like this, you know, before you start win mentality and like built to sell mentality, it, we sat him down. We want to build this and sell this thing in three years. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, can you help us? Heck yeah, I can. You know what I mean? Like he's, you know, cause he's like, I'm all, I'm all about it. We aligned the way we structured his deal was to align him with the exits. So incentivize him. Incentivize him. We then took our core management team, gave, put them all aligned, gave them all equity as part of the process. Right. Because yep. this, this again is, is aligning everybody in the entire building. Right. In the sense of, you know, especially from a key management standpoint. And then now now Matt was able to go in. He brought in, you know, the right legal teams, the right financial teams, because before I was trying to use my financial resources to build out um, the way we would put together our financial models. And it was just driving me nuts. Right. Because I kept using like, you know, all CFO consultants are just not the same. And you can have brilliant CFO consultants that are building you financial models, but you really, as a business person, go out and find a CFO consultant or an accountant that is an expert in the industry that you want to build your business in. By now bringing in an accounting group that all they did was production companies and productions, it, they snapped that model into order overnight. That's right. And then now now we're having these super clear financial goals and meetings and and now we've got the foundation of what we need to do to create this business to go sell it we got zero revenue right literally like just a handful of avids all we got right so now now it's like okay you know we're we're paying Matt we're committed to go launch this thing but we've got to start selling some shows and figure out a way to to get some revenue and so it's on me, right? Like, let's get out there and, and try to like, you know, razzle dazzle. And, and the number one opportunity was ridiculousness, right? Like, can we, can we go and negotiate with MTV to get uh, that production? And, and what did I do? Just called up the gentleman that was running the network at the time and said, hey, here's the position building this production company. I would love to get the production. Can we sit down and talk about it? Laid out specifically what I wanted. This is what the meeting's about. Sat out with him, laid out the vision, negotiated with him on the spot that I would add two more uh, seasons to my deal in order to get the production over to us called, you know, that's on like a Tuesday called you. I'm going to believe this. We got it. (laughs) Right. So like, bam, it's like, holy moly, like, man. All right. So now we are off and running. We now have complete control of the production and we are now like overnight, a profitable, substantial production company. That's right. right. And I want to say literally like three days later, had a meeting with the head of Nickelodeon at the time. We had three different shows mm-hmm. that we were uh, had put in the chamber to pitch to them. 
it was a lunch meeting at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and she bought all three shows to series, right? Like it was literally like in one week, it went from two meetings in one week, we went to almost 50 million in revenue, right? And up to that point, every six months or so, we look at each other like, man, we had a good run on this ridiculousness thing. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right, right. Man, we really have wrung this thing out, man. How much more life? And then then every time I get the call, I'd see Rob's call and I'd be like... Oh, well, here we go. I knew this was coming. He'd be like, looks like we're doing 168 more. Yeah. I'm like, are you? Yeah. And look, and we'll get to that. We'll get okay, to that. You're, okay. You're jumping jump, ahead. You're jumping ahead. I'm jumping but ahead. This is really like now we were in business. And so year one, right? And it was super, you know, one of the principles that the when I build companies today is, you know, I have five principles, white space, do or die or leadership, clear path to liquidity, uh, will impact the world, and then unfair advantages that lead to revenue. Yeah. Right. Like, and I used to just call it unfair advantages. You want some unfair advantage, but I realized like, no, it's unfair advantages that lead to revenue. The fact that I had the relationship with the network at the heads of both networks allowed me to, in two meetings, create a $50 million business, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it was extraordinarily validating, you know, from the idea of it was, I learned business as a whole, then was like, here's how I want to build. Here's my greatest opportunity as a production company, us going through the process of building. And then in that, and that's us getting that huge profit check for in that first year. Yeah. It was this extraordinarily validating moment for me because it was like, man, you really did it. You know, you really went through the process, put all the pieces and now you really have something. So, you know, here we are. And we're on the march to the exit, right? So it's like, you know, let's just, let's just keep this thing cooking, right? So, you know, the next year, another big year, you know, and, and the TV business, it's, it's hit or miss, right? Like you, you, oh, we want this to be picked up. Oh, this is going to get another sale. Oh, they don't know about that. Okay. Ridiculousness got back, picked up. You know, we're, we're, you know, it's this bizarre, like wait and see, like you could start the year with like zero booked revenue and still have an extraordinary year or literally be out of business. Yes. Right. And, and keep in mind, you know, for somebody that's going to build a business to sell and that sort of mentality, be, be careful the type of business that you create. This was one of the hardest ones because it traded on EBITDA mm-hmm. and it's a creative services business. Like you're at the whim of the, the people that are buying your content. You don't own your content versus if we started a media business and mm-hmm. we own the content, it trades at six times revenue. So if we did 50 million in one year, it's worth 300 million, right. you know, versus being worth 50, 60 million, you know? So anybody, when you really think about what you're building, fully understanding like how it would trade and, and what are the, the pluses and minuses of how it would trade is always something to, to think about. So I, I think if you had been able to see that at the beginning stage of this company, we would not have done it. Yeah. Knowing the risks and knowing how much time that we just got so lucky on having that booked revenue f- for yeah, so long. But, but I think... It's still part of, we knew that was the risk, yeah. right? We also knew that was the risk and we bet on ourselves that we would be able to continue to create content and, and deliver like all, any other traditional. I'll say this, I'll say this, because you have in the time since we started to 
you know, even when you, after you sold that stuff to Nickelodeon, that was also the day you were like, that's it. From now on, it's boss to boss. I'm not going to yeah. number twos or number threes. I'm going to the boss because it saves time. It's more efficient. Yeah. But I know for sure that no, if you were where you are now in business and Shane from back then came to you and said, hey, let's start a production company. You'd be like, there's no way. Oh, that's 100%. Oh, there is no way. That's because we were both so naive. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I snuck in right before oh, you learned anything. Oh, man, thankfully. it's so real. It's so real. It's like, it's also because like, now I just want to make consumer products. Right, I would well, be like, you know, like, I don't like creative services. That's in, like, what do you, it's so hard to do. Like, no, you're a hundred percent. And, and I, and I watched the bloodbath around me of all your friends that you were like, look, the, sh the shirt thing's over. Look, yeah. Hey man, sorry. <laughs> that, uh, whatever weird device. Yeah, we're gonna and, and, and for context in 2016, when I had finally built the deer deck machine in my system, I had around 13 different companies and I got rid of all of them. Right. And if I could not, put them into the basically uh, before you start win category, can I see a clear path of something that I can build and sell? Then I got rid of it. And the only two companies that I kept was, you know, Super Jacket, uh, that was, you know, our broco in Street League. Right. Right. I, I Street League had raised capital and I, and this is where I, I cut my teeth on a lot of this knowledge was through the Street League experience. So, and I knew that I could reposition Street League for it to be acquired, uh, based off of where it was the only two things and every, everybody else was collateral damage, man. <laughs> every, and it, it's amazing to look back at how many, for what a established businessman, I just had a series of high profile brocos. You yeah. know what I mean? But that's how you start. Yeah. So, you know, so, so again, I, I'm now we're trying to march to an exit. Mm -hmm. So really it's just we're and where another year goes, we knocked it out. We got them. Now we go into, to year three and in the third year, you know, in, in what happens in the television game and especially of late over the last few years of sort of the evolution of streaming and sort of the behavioral habits of, of people watching television, it ended up being that the economics as it was related to the cost per half hour an hour was really changing because mm -hmm. ad dollars were going down on the networks and the nature of television is – Every time they do another pickup, it gets a little bit more expensive, yeah. right? It's built for this, you know, what I'd consider old school balance of, you know, if the show keeps growing in success, everybody that created and works on that show keeps growing along with it until it reaches a point where it's no longer viable for the network. Yeah. We had eventually reached that plateau. And Chris McCarthy, uh, who was now the head of the network, and, and look, Chris McCarthy came in and revamped all of Viacom, CBS, this entire sort of resurgence that they have and all the Viacom networks. He, he really and he did that because he's a creative mind and a financial mind. Yeah. Right. He was financially educated, but he's a creative individual. So he stopped looking at it from just the lens of like what type of great content can we create and more from. How can we create great unit economics and profitability in all of our shows and try to build franchises? And again, this negotiation did not take place between agents and lawyers and managers and the number two at the network to go to him. Mm -hmm. It was like me and him one-on-one -on, -one on what needs to happen to 
secure sort of the long-term value of ridiculousness as what it meant at the network. And, and really it came down to a unit economics thing and a, and a price per half hour that he was basically building the entire network around. And, and we had a gentleman's agreement that if I could meet his price, that he would make a much more substantial order than he had ever made before. Cause at the time they were ordering 30 episodes at a time, Four. right? For no, it was 30 in that oh, time. Was, yeah. Okay. And so it was tough. Right. Because we had to go back. All of us had to take pay cuts. We Everybody inside the company had to take pay cuts. And then uh, we had to let go of a lot of people. It was an extraordinarily painful sort of process to get it down to a place that would give it long term sustainability. And we hit that number and then it was about negotiating the size of the pickups, you know, and, and, you know, we did it smart. We said, Hey, in order to get it to seasons, we got to get them. We got to go up to 42 episodes a season. And then that's how we can get these economics to work. Like, but we would need you to order a bunch and, you know, God bless him. You know, and I shot for like, you know, let's do 250, you know, and he's like, oh, that's, whoa, whoa. you know, I was thinking more like 84 and I was like, you know, whoa, that's crazy. You know, like, as you know, even though that's amazing, right. I still was like, oh, that's wild. Like, just like what? 84. <laughs> I, I won, but I said, mm -mm, that's, I don't know about that. We didn't have to go way bigger than that. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll do 168. Mind numbing. Mind numbing, right? And it's like unprecedented in television, yeah. right? Like unprecedented, like in in television and, you know, even shocking to us to this day when we talk about it or even tell somebody in production about it. But it set the stage for us to get to market, right? Yeah. Because despite we now had the three years, now we had this 186 episode order. And a lot of people would have been tempted to be like, oh, well, maybe we keep growing this thing now that we have this huge. But it was like, nope, here's here's our sell story. Now we can go to market as look how successful we have. Now look at our growth trajectory now that we're getting these mega orders. Yeah. And that therein lies again the discipline where it's like we set out to drive this thing to be done and brought to market in three years. And that's exactly what we did. That's right. right? And you, you, I remember bringing up the idea and our, and our legal counsel yeah. said it's too early. Yeah. There, there won't be any interest. There's, there's no, hey, there's no, hey, there's no precedent for hey, anything like this. Hey, and I, I can't take the credit because I was like, maybe it is. Right. So I softened up a little bit and to the credit of Brian Atlas, the COO mm. and president of the Deer Deck Machine, he said, no, let's at least go out, like talk to some investment bankers and see what they have to say. Cause I don't believe that he, and I said, yeah, I don't believe that. <laughs> and who do we call? Briar Media. Oh, Bring them right Three years back later. In. Three years later. And it was for real. It was like, Wow. You really did it. It wasn't even like, it was the, for them, it was the most mind blowing, like what? Yeah. Like you really did. After all of that, you did exactly what you said. Yes. Let's go take this to market. And we had the advantage of a lot of production companies. Their, their predictions are speculative. We had the advantage of booked revenue. That's it. Uh, and that's if nothing else happens, we still have a right. lot of money. Years, Years of revenue, which does not exist in the entire industry. So now it was... And again, we didn't like look at that and look at like, oh, we could use this as a stepping stone to grow even bigger. We had our target and we got out there. And, you know, the interesting thing was 
is, and, and I would give this advice to anybody um, that gets to a certain stage of their business where there is an opportunity to see if there's interest in acquiring it. Hire an investment banker, do a deal, and just go see what the what's out there. You know, because yeah. it's like the the beauty of where we sat at that moment in time. We were super profitable, had guaranteed uh, revenue and EBITDA, and we had complete leverage in any deal because we did not need to sell. That's right. Right. We so didn't care that much. We could have went all, we could have went, yeah, we, we really did not enter it emotionally in any way, no, shape or form. Because we knew the money was coming either way. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we met with a lot of production companies where it seemed more of like a logical sort of partnership, you know, especially a publicly traded company, uh, for, right. in, you know, for anybody that. out there, like, you know, if you have a highly profitable company and a public company is, you know, trading on 15, 20 times their earnings, like your value to them is your cash is worth 15 to 20 times, you know, to them. So it's like they look at you a little bit differently and there's a different opportunity uh, for a cash flowing business to be acquired by a public company that trades off earnings. If you are so lucky to dance with the devil at that scale. But, you know, for us, you know, we, we didn't have any expectations. And then the most unusual interest came uh, through the rain group. Mm-hmm. Right. And it wasn't even through our bankers. It was through my partner in black feather whiskey sent me an email that said, Hey, Brandon from the rain group, who's a partner in black feather whiskey would love to talk to you about super jacket, you know? And to me, it, it was the ultimate, right? Like, because it was like, oh, we, it's a much different type of deal. Yeah. You know, they had Nitro Circus, this giant like media and entertainment business. And they were looking at it more of like, hey, we can roll a super jacket into Nitro Circus and begin to acquire other assets to create this much larger sort of action sports umbrella, which to me became a lot more interesting. It also allowed us to create, be more creative in the deal that we did through the acquisition that ultimately allows us to, to uh, sell the company twice through the framework, you know, and, and again, this deal that we put together, you know, it took a really long time. It was extraordinarily complex and I've certainly learned a lot in what it takes to get big deals like this across the finish line. But we had leverage the whole time, the entire deal all the way through. Yeah. And then part of that leverage for me was ultimately if this is going to be Nitro Circus and then this is going to be Super Jacket, then the only other asset that I had uh, kept from the Broco era, <laughs> Street League Skateboarding, has to be part of the deal as well. Right. Right. And that allowed me now all that leverage, you know, which ultimately that type of deal would only be possible for a bank, an investment uh, or a fund, an investment bank group that was trying to do a roll up, mm-hmm. right? That was looking at how do we create value to resell it is the only time that you could put together a deal like that. But being able to get street league into there then became this extraordinarily extra sort of value for me as it related to putting a button on sort of that era and transition to like true and full business person. I, I would imagine it has to be enormously validating to punctuate it with the exit because I remember the 
blood, sweat, and agony you went through building that. I mean, that's that you, you say it was a bro code, but that was really your, yeah, that was yours from the beginning. Yeah, and but you I would, hatched it. So to see it through, yeah, and then get it at that level and built into Thrill One is just, yeah, I and mean, and but but it's so ex- extraordinarily validating from just the general before you start when concept. Yeah. Because I had never sold a company before I declared I'm going to create a billion dollars in liquidity by building and selling 30 to 50 companies. You know what I mean? Like never done one, you know? So it's (laughs) like, you know, and then the first one we're going to do is super jacket. We're going to sell it in three and it's, you know, it's pure manufacturing. Amazing. You know, where we systematically fuse that art, science and magic, right? Because we had to create that path. There was just proven science to it, right? Of like the people we had to hire, how we had to build the company. And then there was the magic, all these crazy lucky things that happened that drove us ultimately to, you know, the biggest win of our lives, period. Right. So, yeah, I, yes. I, I always think of that as you leveraging your value and oftentimes, you know, reminding and also maybe reinforcing for yourself what that value is by pushing it right to the edge. You know, when you talk to Chris McCarthy, yeah, you have to assume your values at a certain level, but maybe it's over here. Maybe it's even up here. <laughs> yeah. And then I'll find out I don't have the, I'd rather push for the value than find out I don't have it. Right. You know I mean? But I think that that's the secret ingredient to a lot of the success is, is, you know, because it's luck and magic and all that stuff you said. But what it really is, is the relentless drive. Yeah. And it's the relentless always thinking before everyone else gets there. Yeah. Like, no, this is where hey, we should be right it's here. It's the do or dire definition. Yeah. Fortitude, grit, determination, ambition, relentless work ethic, and unwavering self-belief. And if you have people who are resistant to that, you either have to cut them loose or yeah. you got to get them to change their mindset because otherwise you're now you're not just pulling your own hope that it moves, but you're pulling people that are stuck in like, no, 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 we can't do that yet. It's too yeah. soon. We're not ready. That's not what people do. This deal is t- too different than a normal production company deal. Great. Yeah. I mean, we lived on the outskirts of production companies anyway. You yeah. know, we don't have all the stress that most companies have because we were lucky enough to keep making shows at the same place for a really long time. So we get to have the same people. We get people that have jobs for years. I mean, that's unprecedented in production. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. So, okay, look, let me just, you know, end it with saying thank you. Oh, thank you. You know, it's like, you know, we really, without you and that original Robin Big story save that evolved into our creative partnership that landed at the perfect time to, to, to essentially validate my Deer Deck machine, uh, machine method and my entire process. And for that, again, when we sell a company, we like to celebrate it in the right way. And, and again, I go back to these two glorious, glorious gold trophies that look Super Bowl style. That's going to sit on your mantle forever. And I, I have only had one of my liquidity vintages so far. Uh, there's 24 of them. I signed all of them, numbered them one through 24. I know you'll probably drink all of them this year. <laughs> But which is fine. I have been hitting the Cabernet Uh, pretty hard. You know, I want to tell you another thing that I'm doing is, is, you know, I started the do or die or entrepreneur foundation, uh, where I'm donating portions of, 
my profits and exits into this foundation. And this foundation essentially is going to be giving, you know, minorities and underserved communities an opportunity to win business plan competitions to, to win grants, to go uh, chase their own dreams. And from, from super jacket, I'm going to put uh 500,000 uh, from our transaction into that deal. That's amazing. Yeah. So because it is such a big one and, and really represents everything, the full life cycle of, of what I'm hoping to achieve in this sort of personal mastery of, you know, doing all this. So I really wanted to kind of let you know that. And, and, you know, as we get out of here, I'd just be, you know, sort of curious, is there any lesson or big thing that stuck out to you through this whole process? Two things. I failed accounting twice in college. I never in my life, in my life thought that I would be at the level within business. I still don't think of myself necessarily as a businessman, but I never thought I'd be in this, uh, woven into it. But the other thing is that I think that to succeed, not just in business, but in life, whoever you've chosen as either your partner or your allies or who you're rolling with, you have to be, like you were saying earlier, you, you have to either be totally aligned or you have to trust what their strengths are and back off when you don't know the answers and, and, or hire people to do. And that is a, that's a lesson that took me a long time to learn but I've gotten really good at just going, Hey, this may not have been the way you thought this was going to go. But if history has proven anything, sometimes the way you wanted to go isn't as good as the way you end up. Yeah. So I have gotten much better at just backing down when I, when I'm not sure. And it's been helpful. All right. Well, let me, let me share with you what I've learned. I've learned that you can never go full elf. <laughs> You know, oh, man. Uh, this man showed up oh, to one of man. my Christmas parties in a pair of tights and an elf outfit, just nuts packed in. Just <laughs> I'm talking a normal full tight adult party where everybody is just responsible and having glasses of wine and celebrating the season. This guy thought for some reason it was some hardcore party and showed up <laughs> not as for full elf. Not for some reason. Like there, there is nothing to indicate this was a normal party. I think like two weeks before we were in a stretch limo. And, and now, I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. The lesson learned, ladies and gentlemen, is never go full elf. <laughs> Shane, uh, thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate everything. If you think you have what it takes to be a doer, dyer, and partner with me to build an amazing company, or if you want to join our growing community of machinists to be the first to test our new products and help us manufacture amazing, go to DeerDeckMachine.com. If you haven't listened to the Deerdick Machine Primer, I encourage you to go back to episode one, which gives you insight into our machine method to really enhance your experience of the rest of the episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Build With Rob wherever you join us. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you get your podcasts and videos. And most importantly, I can't say it enough. You got to put a vision to whatever you want to achieve. You've got to build a plan so that you think it's even possible. Then you have to give it everything you've got. See it, believe it, do it. We'll see you next time on Build with Rob.